Good to have Brother Hall here. We love and appreciate the Halls. Lord bless them. Praise the Lord. Good to be with you this evening. Count it a honor every time I have the opportunity to share the Word of God, whether it's with a group like you in the sanctuary or whether it's a, a small class or in Sunday school. I, I just love the Word of God. That's what keeps me. Um, and, and sometimes I, you know, just like everybody else, I might drift away a little bit, but I always come right back to that Word uh, and find strength in Him. Praise the Lord. Uh, as Pastor is saying, we're going to be teaching um, for the next few Wednesday nights, and I am the kickoff speaker, and we're going to be talking about um, our, our curriculum. It's called God's Word for Life, and tonight's lesson, as you can see on the uh, overhead, we're going to talk about He who sits on the throne. We're going to talk about the one that sits on the throne. Could we just take a minute, would you pray with me? Just ask God to speak to us and move in our hearts. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can come together. We can worship you in the middle of the week, oh God. And we can bless your name. And we thank you that we can hear your word and we can study it. Oh Lord, we just give you glory and we pray that you would touch us. And let your word not go back void, but let it make a difference in each and every one of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The objective of this lesson from the um, series that we're going to be teaching on tonight is I will worship the one who sits on the throne. So that's what I'm going to try to work toward is getting us to have that thought in our minds and hearts as we start this new year that I am going to be worshiping the one, the one and only that sits on the throne. And instead of just stopping with that statement, I will worship the one who sits on the throne, I, I, I thought about that statement, because I could skim right over that real quick and, and just go on. But I just wanted to talk about that for a second. I will worship the one who sits on the throne. It starts off by saying, and it's, this is not a verse, but it's a statement of what my objective is. I will Jesus said in the garden, if you remember, not my will, but thy will be done. So I will. In this instance, Jesus didn't want to, of course, he didn't want to die. He didn't want to go to the cross. He didn't want to suffer. But he said, not my will, but thy will be done. Of course, the Lord, as any human, wanted comfort and wanted, wanted to be uh, in peace and didn't want to feel the torture of the cross. But Jesus pushed his natural will away and replaced it with the will of God. In which that will of God was what? Sacrifice for the sins of many. Simply when I say I will do something, I'm either going to do what I want to do or I'm going to do what he wants me to do. I'm either going to do what I want to do or I'm going to replace it with a greater will, with a greater purpose, with a greater desire. And so when I say the objective of this lesson is to, tonight is I will worship the one who sits on the throne. I 
am setting up in my mind, the, in the forefront of my mind, that I am going to purposely deny what I want to do this year physically, and I'm going to do what He will, wants me to do. I want to do His will. This means that I have to will something to happen. And it's going to most likely, as if you've ever fasted before, if you've ever sacrificed anything before, it takes determination. It takes willpower, as they say, to push down that natural man. I don't know about you, but when I have done that in the past, at first, it's very difficult. And maybe after a few hours of fasting, I think, oh, this time, I'll just do a half-day fast this time. Have anybody else ever done something like that? You know, oh, I, I fasted long enough. Next time, I'll, I'll do more. I'll fast a little bit longer. Um, but as you, if you've ever done a, an extended fast, even just a day or two or three, when you do that, or a Daniel's fast, when you deny yourself of, uh, of bread and meat and, and sugar and those kinds of things, after you're doing it for a while, you're pushing down that will, that human flesh. For some reason, you start feeling better about it. And you, you start, it starts becoming not necessarily easier, but more desirable. And I just, and I, and I think about how Jesus said in the New Testament, um, when he met the woman at the well, and the disciples were going to go into town to get food. And when they came back, with food. They said, Lord, we have food here. And he said, I've, I've already got my meat. I've already, I've already been fed. And, and his meat was to do the will of the Father. That was what satisfied him. That's what gave him sustenance, was doing the will of God. And so we can look at our will and pushing it down as a negative thing, or we can look at it from a different perspective, which is, I'm going to be satisfied more in my spirit and in my soul than I could ever be satisfied by doing what my natural will wants to do. And so, many times we have to push our will down. And, and you know, if anybody's like me, I have to get into a regular pattern. I'm going to do this at this, I'm going to pay these bills at this certain time. If not, I will keep pushing it off. Anything like that, you have to determine, this is when I'm doing this, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to determine to do it. And sometimes, we have to will ourselves to worship. We have to will ourselves to worship. Next slide. Worship. What is worship? Let's talk about that for a minute. Definition I found is reverent honor and homage paid to God or a sacred personage or to any object regarded as sacred. That's the definition of, of worship. But I, I on the right, I, I heard many years ago or studied many years ago and heard that the word worship was derived from the word worth-ship. W-R-T-H-ship. Worth-ship. And worth, the part of the word worth, of worship, worth means value, something of value. And the word ship denotes the condition, 
the character of that thing. I think of the word apprenticeship or, um, or, or, or any a relationship. You add that, that's, it connects the object to the condition. And so, when I, in the case of worship, you are saying to the object of worship, you have worth to me. You have value to me. And I want to focus on how valuable you are to me. So when I say, I will worship the one who sits on the throne, what I mean is, I will determine in my heart, in my mind, and I will do whatever I have to do to show God how valuable He is to me. That's what worship is. And so that can mean many things, but it changes the way we think when we do it that way. When, when, we, when we decide, God, you are too valuable for me to ignore. And I am going to truly, sincerely make it my goal to worship the one that sits on the throne. So I will desire, I will make it a point to show God how much worth he has to me. And by the way, this one God that I'm going to worship sits on the throne. And I can't think of a, a better goal for myself this year, for this new year, to make it, than to make it my goal to show God he is valuable to me. I will worship him. Next slide. Revelation chapter 22, 1 through 4, if you can see that. And if you can't, just follow along. It says, and we're going to read these verses. Verse 1, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there a tree of life which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. In the book of Revelation, as I was studying this lesson, we find that God and the Lamb are revealed as one. They're revealed as one. If you read 3 and 4, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And it says in verse 4, They shall see His, I just wanted to point that out, His face and His name shall be in their foreheads. So the Lamb and God are equated as one. Four times in the book of Revelation, Jesus described himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Revelation 1.8, 1.11, 21 and 6, and 22 and 13, if you like to take notes. Four times Jesus described himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. In John chapter 10 verse 30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. 
In John 14, 9, he said, <clears throat> He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. So Jesus sits on the throne. And I was kind of excited um, when I was studying through this series and through my section when it had a story, it wanted me to tell a story about King Darius in the Old Testament and some historical facts. Um, for those podcast listeners in here, anybody in here listen to podcast? I might be in the wrong room. But <laughs> there, there's a podcast, if, if you ever want to attempt to, to do this, uh, it's called Hardcore History. And, and this guy really gets into, and I wish I could talk like him and tell stories like him, but he gets really excited about the story. So I want to talk about the story that I've, I listened from him. And, and it's about Babylon and, and, and Persia. And he, and he titled the series King of Kings. And he talked about how great these kings were, but, but also about how <clears throat> combative and how, how they wanted control and how they fought with each other to take and have the right to take thrones. Daniel chapter 5 starts telling us the story of Belshazzar, who was the king of Babylon at the time. And he decided to take the gold and the silver vessels that his father Nebuchadnezzar had gone and ravaged Jerusalem and grabbed all the vessels, the gold vessels, the silver vessels, out of the temple. And they were sacred vessels to God. And, and Nebuchadnezzar just kept them stored up because he realized that they were sacred. But Belshazzar was having a party and he was trying to impress his friends. And you can see pride there, can't you? And you can see self-desire um, and, and doing what I want to do. And, and he took the vessels and they had a party and they drank from the vessels. And that very night as you read that story, a finger came and wrote on a wall. And basically what happened, Daniel came and interpreted what was on there. And that very night, his kingdom was taken away from him by Darius the Mede. And then the kingdom passed from the Babylonians to the Media Persia Empire. I don't know if you like history or not, but I really, I really enjoy history and maps and those sorts of things. And, and, and so I found out that this Darius that took over Babylon was more like a governor, and he served under Cyrus, who was the emperor of the Persian Empire. So Cyrus the Great, you probably heard of him, ruled the Persian Empire. And he, and he took something small, a small country, and he started to conquer. And, and he became the greatest empire ever seen at the, uh, at the time. And he went from being called a nobody to being called the king of the universe. He was a pretty motivated individual. And after he died, his son Cambyses took the kingdom and he extended his conquest and he went to Egypt which was a great power for most of the time and, and he was defeated and the story is that Cambyses on his way back home 
felt so bad that he committed suicide. And so this throne was going back and forth. This power was going back and forth. And so another powerful struggle ensued for the throne. A pretender named Smyrtus was made king. And he ruled for about a year until Darius, which was a different Darius, the great Darius that you hear of, killed the imposter king and also killed Cyrus's other son, Bardia. And, and, and so you can see this great desire to have control and to have power and to have a throne because that's what a throne represents, isn't it? It represents power. And I'm, I'm trying to get to something. Many didn't know that Bardia, Cyrus's youngest son, was dead. So another man pretended to be Bardia, and he took the throne. But his scam was, was discovered, and Darius killed him as well. And the point is, many desire power and authority. And there have been many thrones over the ages. But the Bible tells us, that in heaven, there is one who sits on the throne. Amen? There is one. Satan once tried to go over God and take the throne for himself. He wanted a throne. He wanted power. But God threw down Satan and the third of the angels from heaven onto earth. So, so people fight for power and control. But they fight over a temporary throne. Just like these men did on, in these earthly empires. Men would rule for a period of time. And they sought power. And I don't really know in the back of their mind if they realized, you know, one of these days I'm going to die. And this throne's not going to belong to me. I don't know if that was even part of their thinking at first. They just wanted the power. But a, th a throne is limited. Or it's unlimited by who sits on the throne. Would you agree with that? It's limited. Or it's unlimited if he's the one that sits on the throne. Many things fight for our attention and for the thrones of our lives. And I, and I pr pray that way sometimes. God, help me make you the center of my life and help me to place you on the throne of my life. And it's up to you and it's up to me to decide who's going to sit on the throne of my life. So the throne. Let's talk about it for a moment. John the Revelator wrote the book of Revelation to the seven churches of Asia. And as subjects to the Roman Empire, they knew the power of Caesar. They understood that there was power with the throne. There was force behind what Caesar said. His words meant something. And he had a great army that stood behind him and would enforce what he said. So that throne in, in the Roman Empire that the church, churches that John wrote to, they understood what a throne was and they understood that a throne has power. We as his church also need to understand that there is power in his throne. Maybe we don't haven't grown up around a Roman Empire or seen a throne in that way. But God wrote this book to tell us 
That there is one that has all power and all might and he sits upon the throne. Next slide, please. He who sits on the throne is God and he is also the Lamb. We talked about that just for a second. Let's go into that a little bit more. Revelation 22.1 And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. The great king who sat on the throne of heaven appeared as God and as a lamb. Meaning, he appeared both as all-powerful and all-humble and all-merciful. That's the kind of God we serve. I'm glad that we have a God of all power, aren't you? But I'm also glad that he's just not so forceful like Caesar and, and it's his way, which it is his way, but it, it's not, you know, you're gonna, I'm going to put you to death. But he has mercy and love toward us. He was the eternal God of all power, but he was also the lamb sacrificed for the sins of the world. Next slide. Most in the Roman Empire didn't have access to Caesar's throne, but we have access to the throne of power. And it also is a throne of mercy. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly. Can you imagine when John, excuse me, when Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, that's who, what we think, think who wrote it, and he wrote this to the, the people of the Roman Empire. And he said, you're not used to having access to the throne. You're not used to having somebody look out for you. You're not used to having power on your side. But now, because Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you have access to a throne that you may obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. That's the kind of God we serve. He gives us access by the blood of the Lamb. And I am so glad. If you wouldn't mind, could we just lift up the Lord for that? Lord, we thank you that we can come boldly, Lord, when we're facing down frustrations and bad situation. Oh God, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. He who sits on the throne is the Alpha and Omega. He's the first and the last. And he's too big for my mind to even imagine what that really means. He's before time and he's after time. This is too much for me. But this is who sits on the throne. The unlimited almighty God. Only one sits on the throne. Revelation 21.6 says this, And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give un unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water freely. Jesus equated himself to the God 
of Moses when he said that. I am Alpha and Omega. Only one sits on the throne. Jesus, even in John 8.58, he said, Before Abraham was, I am. In Exodus 3.14, God told Moses to tell the people that I am have sent me. And so, when you read in the New Testament, so when Jesus used that phrase, you see that the Pharisees fell back and they were astonished that he would use that term. I am. There is one that sits on the throne. Moving on, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb is the temple. I'm going to talk about the temple for a second. The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb is its temple. And I started thinking about this for a minute. And when you read in the book of Revelation, um, John talks about heaven and how it's situated. And he doesn't mention that there is a temple in heaven. Revelation 21 and 22 says this, And I saw no temple therein. Why wouldn't there be a temple in heaven, in the new Jerusalem. I mean, we're so used to having a temple. Or, or for the children of Israel, for God's people to have a temple to go to worship in, right? But John says, I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Jesus is not only the throne, but he's the temple. And he's the temple that we really, truly need. The earthly temple was just built as a, when you think about it, as a representation of him. When you, when you think about going into the Holy of Holies, what were they really? They weren't going into a building, but they were going into his presence. And his presence represented who Jesus is, right? I'm going into Jesus. And so Jesus, when I get to heaven, it's just going to be one big temple and I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. What a a, a great thought and something to look forward to. A temple is something that you dwell in or inhabit or live in. And David talked about the temple in the Old Testament. And David desired to be in God's temple. I think we limit our relationship with God, at least I do, when I'm torn between desires of earthly thrones and Jesus. I need to determine where I'm going to dwell. Jesus said in the New Testament, if you abide in me, you remember this story, I will abide in you. He wasn't Referring to a physical temple that we could live in. He wants us to dwell with him and and live in him. And he wants to live in us. Someone sent me and my dad. My dad's visiting tonight. And uh, he sent us a a, a little post. And and I I had to mention it tonight because I thought it was really good. Maybe you'll think it's silly. But it said, had a picture I think of somebody fishing or something. And it said, religion is a guy 
in church thinking about fishing. Relationship is a guy out fishing thinking about God. That just hit me. It's like, wherever we are, whatever we are doing, you can be at work, working away, and you can still be thinking about the Lord and, and getting strength from Him and getting His peace in the middle of your situation. If I will determine to, to worship the one who sits on the throne. Jesus told the woman at the well that you worship God in the mountains. You Samaritans worship God in the mountains. We Jews worship God in Jerusalem at the temple. But he said, but now is a time where it's not a place anymore. But you need to worship God in spirit and in truth. And, that, and, and it says at the end of one of those verses, because he says that a couple times, for the Lord seeketh such. That's what the Lord is seeking after from us. Somebody that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Not just a place on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. But he, he is calling us to worship him, showing him how valuable. Remember, worship. He is valuable to me. That's what worship is. Showing him. You have value to me. And I'm going to live differently because I value you so much. I value you so much, you're more important to me than anything else. And I, I, I tonight don't want to say that I'm at that place. But that's my desire. As David said, one thing have I desired. That's my desire to get to that place. It's, I think it's going to be an eternal or at least a, a, a long life struggle, a long life goal to make him my one thing. For the Lord seek of such. I was thinking how you can equate a temple and a dwelling place as Jesus. And so I just started reading the book of Psalm chapter 27 where David talks about one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to inquire in his temple. I started replacing, and maybe you've done this before, but I started replacing temple and house with the name Jesus. And I'm just going to read a couple of the verses. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in Jesus Christ all the days of my life, to behold the beauty and to inquire in Him, Jesus Christ. And it goes on to say, when I am in trouble, I will be hidden in Christ. Just like Colossians 3.3 3 says, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ. Being in Christ is dwelling in the temple. Psalm 27.5 goes on to say, When I'm in trouble, He will hide me in His sanctuary. And then it says, you could, go, you could say, He will hide me when I'm in trouble in Himself. He's going to hide me in, in Himself, in Jesus. And then He goes on to say, He shall set me upon a rock. And the New Living Translation says, He will place me out of reach, on a high rock. And verse 6 of Psalm 27 says, I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. And I, I just started getting a, a picture in my head, and, and I, I, I don't think I can explain it very well, but I'm thinking like, when I, not, maybe there's enemies in your life, and maybe it's just situations that you're facing. Maybe it's problems and sicknesses and diseases that you're facing. But that's when the Lord, if we're dwelling in Him, and that's our desire, 
One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in Jesus Christ. What's he going to do? He's going to set me up on a rock, on a high place. And I'm going to be able to look over, maybe just for a moment, over that situation, over that enemy. So when we dwell in him, there is a cause and effect. Something happens when we obey him. And something happens when we make him our most valuable thing. Because I dwell in him when... Not if, but when difficulties and tribulations comes. He sets me above those situations so that I can look above them and get a different perspective. The issues are still there, but he takes me to another realm. He gives me peace that passes understanding. And, and Sister uh, Kelsey, would you just go through those slides one at a time slowly? And this is the best I could come up with, just thinking about God set me up. I just saw a picture of an eagle high up on a rock looking down. And I can just imagine that's how God wants to take us and set us up high in a place where we can look above our problems. Next slide. Another picture. And I can just, in my mind, imagine God doing that for me. Put me up there where there's nothing else from all trouble, from all, just for a, even just for a moment. God wants to do this. The next picture. How in the world did that thing get up there? I have no idea. But God wants to set us high up on a rock. Amen? Yes. Amen. Next picture. That's, that's not me because I don't wear those kinds of tennis shoes. But that's what God wants to do. He wants to set us up high. And give us some peace that passes understanding. And we can look over, this, this should be tearing me apart. But God has lifted me up and sat me away from that danger and allowed me to have rest and peace in Him because that's what happens when you're in the house of the Lord, when you're in Jesus Christ. When I feel like I just can't take it anymore, I can go to the throne. I can go into the temple. James 4, 6, and I'm going I'm to close with this. It says this, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. He will lift us up. We'll come before, and I think that's the way we have to come, before Christ and before the throne, with a humble heart. And He will lift us up and take care of us. Hallelujah. Can we just bow our heads just for one moment before pastor comes and just ask God to help us make that determination that I'm going to worship you. Lord Jesus, I pray... Oh, Lord, that this lesson, this word would be applied in my heart, in my mind, in my family, in our church. Oh, Lord, that we would worship the one, truly worship, not just say that we worship, not just act it out, but truly show you that you are the most valuable thing to me. Bless us, your people, Jesus, we pray. We thank you, Lord. Amen.